We are in 1 Corinthians 6. It is a little spicy, and my prayer is that we would sit under it, and we would let the Lord apply whatever part of this chapter that he needs to apply to us. So if you'll bow your head, I'm going to say a prayer based roughly on 1 Thessalonians 4. Let's pray together. Father, according to your word, we know it is your will for each of us to be holy as you are holy and to grow and mature into the likeness of your son, Jesus. Left to our own strength and power, it is impossible. But as we sit in your grace and stand under your grace as beloved sons and daughters, we pray you send the Holy Spirit's power so we are able to abstain from sin walk in holiness, and not swim in the lustful passions like those who do not know God. Help us to remember whose we are and never to exchange the truth of God for a lie, even if we fall a hundred thousand times. And all God's people said, amen, amen. All right, I've done some dumb things in the pulpit in 35 years. One of the dumber ones I did was explain sin with a bow and arrow. So you know what the word sin means in Greek? It means to miss the mark. And so if, you know, if you're shooting a bow, like a lot of you have, you shoot a bow, you want to hit the bullseye. If you miss the bullseye by an eighth of an inch in archery, that's called missing the mark or properly a sin. If you miss it by eight feet or eight miles, it's a sin. Now here's where I got dicey. About 12, 15 years ago, I saw Donnie Julian sitting over there, big strapping guy, ball-headed, you know, tough. I said, hey, Donnie, we hunt together. Hey, Donnie, would you be willing to hold this archery target while I shoot? And I'm like, Donnie, you know I'm a good shot. And um, I've been practicing, and so everything would be cool. And I said, but just to be safe, I mean, just to be safe, would you hold it to the side in case I have an itchy finger? And so I came back here. had a camo stole on. I had a real hunting bow, like one that would shoot a bear or a rhinoceros. This is a big bow with an arrow with a razor tip on it. And the amazing thing to me is that my buddy trusted me enough and loved me enough, maybe too much, that he was going to hold a target while I shot an arrow at him with a razor tip. And so everybody in the church is like, he's not really going to do this. I'm like, yes, I am. So I pulled my bow up and I went, I said, Donnie, to the side. I went, and then I started to bring it down. Everybody in the church was like, (gasps) I'm like, just kidding, Donnie, just kidding. You can put it down. That was a crazy thing to do. But I wanted to drive home the illustration of missing the mark, which is sin, which is sin. So would anybody like to hold the target today? (laughs) So today's passage is actually, it's, it's challenging. It's challenging not because it's hard to understand. Like, I think a fourth grader could pro- or a fifth grader could understand it. It's challenging for other reasons. It's challenging because it says the unrighteous will in- not inherit the kingdom of God. And it lists a long list of variations of sin. And the problem as a preacher and also the problem as a person is all of us sin. All of us sin. And so it does feel pretty hypocritical to get up behind a pulpit and say, don't do these things, when I've done half of them. 
And when I have my own besetting sins, things I struggle with, things that have brought shame, and where I've gotten on my face, Lord, take this away. Make me pure. Make me holy. Make me like your son Jesus. But I don't want to be so wrapped on myself that I would not step up in love, step over my own sinfulness and brokenness and fears, and that I would actually love you enough to do what St. Paul did. St. Paul said, I am the chief of sinners. He knew he was a sinner. And yet, in love for the people, for the sheep, the Lord's sheep, he stepped up and challenged them not to do certain things. So, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 6. We're going to begin at verse 9. All right, here we go. Is it hot in here or is this because I'm preaching on this topic? It feels like 120 degrees in here. Holy moly. Um, so it starts out, 1 Corinthians 6 9. It says, do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Again, what's the problem with that? If, seriously, if you have a synapse in a brain, like what's the problem with that? The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're all unrighteous. All we like sheep would go astray, right? First John, if we say we don't sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so when it says the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, that's really bad news. It's pretty depressing, right? But that's what it says. That's what it says. And then there's a, there's, there, there, there's a laundry list, not a comprehensive list, but there are some things mentioned, uh, varieties, if you will, expressions uh, of sin, so, okay, so who's not going to, who are the unrighteous? Who's not going to inherit the kingdom of God? First one, it starts out, it says, the sexually immoral will not enter the kingdom of God. The sexually immoral. Well, you might go, Quig, you know, I was brought up in church. I was raised in the church. I've never committed adultery. I've never done da 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 Yeah, but at some point, I guarantee most of us have looked on somebody with lust in our heart. Was it Bill Clinton or Jimmy Carter? I can't remember one of them. Jimmy Carter, bless his soul. Uh, who said, you know, he had lusted his heart after women. How many of us could say we've never had an inordinate desire, sexual desire for somebody outside of marriage with our spouse? But it says, it says the sexually immoral, in Greek, that word is porneo. Or, and that, like pornography, it says those who commit porn are fornicators. Now, in most writings in ancient Greek, it referred to men. I don't know why they let women off the hook. I don't know. But could we just say in Christ there's neither male nor female? And like there were people that were being sexually immoral. And he says, so if you're sexually immoral without Jesus, if you're sexually immoral, you're not going to enter the kingdom of God. Okay, what's the next one on the list? You get a Bible, you tell me. Idolaters. That is somebody that... Um, serves or worships false gods. And you could rightly say, whoo, boy, that's not me. I mean, have you ever seen anybody like carve something out of stone or wood and bow down to it and pray to it? Me either. I'm never going to go up on the high place and worship some pagan deity. But when it says idolater, an idolater is one that looks to anyone other than the Lord to be his provider um, to meet his needs, to love, when you, when you exchange, when you exchange the Lord for a person even, or a thing, even a good thing, right? 
a good thing like sports or hunting or my career or fill in the blank, idolatry, worship of something other than the Lord. What's the third one on the list? Adulterers. Now, you've read the stats. I don't really care about the stats. I care about people. Christian church isn't doing too well on this, you guys. It's almost 50%. But if you use Jesus' standards, if you look at a man or a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery, that's about 100%. So adultery, it, it must be pretty important to the Lord because it was one of the Ten Commandments. Can you imagine God wrote down ten words, gives it to Moses, he puts it on tablets, takes it down to the people. One of the ten words that the Lord thought was that important was, don't break your marriage covenant. You know, yeah, man, the adulteress, her lips drip sweet as, as honey, but in the end, they're bitter as wormwood. And the point being that the Lord is not being mean or trying to constrain you, but he's trying to save you and your spouse unimaginable pain. He's a holy God. He wants you to be holy. He wants you to keep the covenant. And yet so many of us, basically all of us, if we use Jesus' standards, have broken this. Now the next one is one evangelicals love to highlight and they ignore the other ones. What's the next one? It depends what version of the Bible you read, right? Um, I believe the ESV says men who have sex with men. But what's a little strange about that is that's not actually what Greeks, the Greek says. They actually use two words here. They're basically saying um, men who are malakoi is one word, and another word is arsenakoita. You can tell I'm terrible in Greek, but who cares? They're, they're two words. The first one, who will not enter? Men who are malakoi, men who are soft. That doesn't mean soft and tender. That, the word often in, in Greek or in ancient writings was used to describe like a soft fabric, but it was also used when a man was softened to act like a woman, particularly in relationship to another man. And so they say that one will not enter the kingdom of heaven. The other word, which I can barely pronounce, basically just in English means male bed. A male who shares his bed with another male. Now, I'm not talking about a bunch of dudes going skiing and you don't have much money and you're just like sharing beds. That's not what it's talking about. It's a sexual intimacy where one man would take a position of a female with another man. Now, if that's your struggle, it, I would say it's not my struggle. So maybe I don't understand it. But what I want to say clearly to you is it's just one variety of sin. And what I really want to say is all week, I, my heart was like, like about ready to explode because while this is not my sin, my sin hurts. It makes me feel shame. It makes me want to hide from the Lord. And what I want to say is if this is your struggle, which it is statistically for a lot of you, what I want to say is please hear this. The Lord loves you. He loves you. And such were some of you, but you were washed. The early church had plenty of people who struggled with same-sex, not only attraction, but it's not just here, it's action. But it says what it says. Not, neither the sexually immoral, the idolaters, the adulterers, 
or men who have sex with men. Again, soft or men who share beds with other men. Now let's keep going because there are other things on the list. What's the next one? Thieves, thieves. I actually like the Greek word for this because it's, it's kleptos, which we know is, you ever heard of the phrase kleptomaniac? That's like when you steal something from somebody else, right? And actually in Greek, there's this intimation that the stealing is actually done in secret. Not like we see on TV today where people just go into stores and steal stuff. But they say, hey, if you're a thief, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, what's next on the list? Greedy or covetous. There's this thing. I mean, Satan's got a million pitches, y'all. He's got a million pitches. He knows your weakness. Hey, man, you might be unable to hit a, a curveball. You might be unable to hit a fastball. You might be unable to hit a slider. Satan doesn't care. His goal is to strike you out, to take you out. But one of the ways Satan takes us out is through greed and being covetous. Now, actually, that's one of the Ten Commandments as well, isn't it? There's this thing that Satan kind of bursts in us where we just want more and more and more and more. See, the lie in my head is, hey, man, if somebody wrote me a check for $3 million, I would be so incredibly happy. Wouldn't life be grand? But you know what? One of my buddies inherited $10 million. I've told you this story before. That was way on back in the early 80s. That was a lot of money back then. But it wasn't enough. I remember him telling me this story. He got on a ship. A lot of us, have been, you've been on cruise ships, a lot of you. He got on some super, super elite cruise ship where everybody there was a multimillionaire. I can't even imagine how nice it was. He got on the ship, and very quickly he figured out he was the poorest person on this yacht. And so he was so um, undone by that, he demanded to be flown off by helicopter. He just desired more and more and more and more. 1 John 3 says this, Whoever has worldly goods and sees his brother or sister in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God remain in him? All right, what's next after being greedy or covetous? I can't hear you. Drunkards. All right, I can, I'm going to confess here publicly. I have fallen here more than once. And I'd like to tell you it was only in the frat house or before I accepted Jesus, but that's not true. If we're all going like, to take true serum, I've, I've, I've broken that. And I'm not proud of it. It's sin. I'm not going to move the bullseye, right? If I were to have missed that 10 times, 1,000 times, 10,000 times, I never want to move the bullseye. I'm going to say, Lord, this is not your will. I want to be filled with the Spirit. I recognize this is a place where Satan wants to come at me. And so he says, drunkards are not going to be uh, uh, inherit the kingdom. How about what's next? Go. Well, I think one version says slanderers. Can y'all help me understand what a slanderer is? Like a lot of it happens on social media, right? Holy moly. A slanderer is somebody who wants to kill somebody with their tongue. And I think often it's behind their back. You're trying to assassinate somebody with your tongue. The Bible says slanders are not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Last one is this. You tell me what the last one is. Swindlers, swindlers. I ain't exactly sure what a swindler is, but I'm pretty sure Charles Ponzi was one. And I'm pretty sure there's another guy from New York City that was 
Give me his name. Bernie Madoff, right? A swindler is somebody who is greedy and so greedy that he will do or she will do whatever it takes to get the money and the stuff they need. Swindler. Okay, so now we're all happy because we've given you this list. We know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom. And the problem is if we stopped here, we should just go home in the greatest despair because every one of us is one of these things. Every one of us. I mean, idolatry. Who, who could say they, they've never worshipped or looked to something or someone else other than the Lord? We, we're all guilty. We all fall short. There's none righteous. No one's good but God alone. And so then I was taken to Matthew 19 where the disciples come to Jesus and say, Well, Jesus, who then can be saved? Like this, we can't do good. We can't do right. We are unrighteous. You're right, Lord, in 1 John. You're right. We all sin. Who then can be saved? And Jesus said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And so there's good news. I want you to look at verse 11. We have this idea of the early church that they were like little pilgrims who walked around in, in monk's robes and just did good and never sinned. But I want to tell you, if that's your view of the Bible, it tells me you've never read the New Testament. They were a train wreck. First Corinth, the Corinthian church was a train wreck. But to these people who sinned in so many ways, these ways and many others, Paul says this, and such were some of you. You want to know what the early church was like? That's what they were like. This list. And he goes, and such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. That's a fancy word for me, that the Lord sets you apart and gives you his holiness. You were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified. You were made righteous before the Lord. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Friends, that's the good news. For every sinner, he says, if you're a believer, if you're in Christ... He says, you've been washed, you've been sanctified, and you've been justified. Now let's go on down. Verse 13b. I have to say this clearly, because some of you never got past the homosexual variety of sin. The majority of the rest of this passage talks, talks more about heterosexual adultery than homosexuality, particularly men going to prostitutes. But it says this, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. So the bottom line is this. Jesus, or, or the Father, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they don't live in a building. Do you know a building where they live? He says, I don't live in a building made by hands. Where is the temple of the Lord? Believers. So guess your body, and my name is good as it used to be, but our bodies, according to Scripture, are God's temple. You've been purchased with a price, the precious blood of Jesus. Your body is where Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit choose to dwell. Verse 14 says this, it's by his power that God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us. He goes, do you not know your bodies are members of Christ? 
goes down to verse 18. And this is an important one. What does it say? You tell me. Flee from sexual immorality. I want you to think of Forrest Gump. Run, Forrest, run. The Lord knows, like, if we get put in a situation, we're dead meat. So the best thing is not go near that door. And ladies, you can translate this. And, but in Proverbs, it says, beware the adulteress. Her lips drip sweet as honey. But in the end, they're bitter as wormwood. Don't go near her door. It's a, it's a place that leads to death. Flee from it. Not so you can be good or God will like you better. He doesn't want you to be stuck in this, this place of pain and shame and condemnation. He wants you to inherit the kingdom. Flee from sexual immorality. Verse 19 says, don't you know your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? I see people working out at the rack and running on the road and all whatever. What I want to say is your body's a temple, but it's a lot better temple than that. It's a place where God himself dwells. And it says this. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price, and the price was severe. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Friend, I don't know which of these particular varieties of sin that you struggle with, but what I want to say to you is this. Please understand that such were some of them, the early church, but they were washed we have every variety of sinner in this room. But we don't want to just go, oh, bless you, bless you, bless you. Stop liking. When, when you see Christians, and that's what we're talking about, Christians, not non-believers. When you see Christians that are liking all this stuff, stop liking sin. Stop encouraging people to go to a place that will crush them and hurt other people. Flee from it. Be who you are. Be whose you are. And you might go, quick, I can't do it. I've fallen 10,000, uh, 20,000 times. I'm like, I know, I know. And so does the Lord. And what I want to also encourage is remember whose you are. Remember that he has made you holy. He counts you holy. He's not left you as an orphan. He's coming to you by the power of his spirit. It is possible. It is possible in Christ. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, there may be some sins that are easy if we can flick those away pretty quickly. And some are more besetting, harder, more deeply rooted. But I want to declare to you what I know to be true. The Lord calls us to freedom. And if you fall 10 million times, don't change the bullseye. Call upon the name of the Lord. Be honest with him. Have a discussion with him. Remember whose you are. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.